Amen. How's it going, church? Good? That was fairly convincing. Um, it, there is some room up here if, if you uh, need, want to be, have some more space from people around you. There's a couple empty spots in the pews up here. Um, but uh, yeah, we're in the season where we're just kicking off everything. Uh, so I want to encourage you, go downstairs, uh, sign up for a life group. Like that is where we do community and life together. Uh, we also need you to sign up if you're planning on coming to the generational uh, pizza lunches. Sign up for those so we know how much pizza to buy, all right? Um, those are going to be amazing. So uh, here is a, uh, a question for you. Now we're going through the churches in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2 and 3, we're walking through these letters that are sent to the churches. And there's a fair amount of correction in the letters. There's a fair amount of encouragement in the letters. So last week we talked about the church of Ephesus. Uh, Jesus wrote that church a letter through a vision and said, here's the things that I commend you for. Here's the things that you're doing well. You're knocking it out of the park. You're crushing it. And then here's this one thing that, that you need some work on. Like you've forgotten your first love. So we're walking through these letters to the churches, and I I really hope we landed on this question saying, what would a letter to you look like if Jesus wrote you a letter? What would a letter to our church look like if Jesus wrote us a letter? Like, what would be the things that Jesus would go, hey, you are knocking this out of the park. Like, I'm so proud of you. You are doing so well in these areas, in following me, in your faith, in your life. And then there's some areas that that I'd want you to work on. Like, this is a gentle correction, an invitation for you to change your life. Maybe it's to change how you think. Maybe it's to change the routines, the patterns, the habits in your life. Maybe it's to change the the goal, the vision of your life. Maybe the the goal switches from, man, I, I want the house, I want the car, I want the bank account, I want the kids, I want the family, I want everybody when they look at me to be like, man, how do they do it? They're, they're amazing. Like, they got the nice kitchen even, the granite countertops, everything's perfect. And then I want the retirement so I can, I can retire from my job that I've worked so hard at and I can travel the entire world and go on all these vacations and cruises and, and we can live a stress-free life. I mean, I mean, really, how many wouldn't mind that life, right? Can we be honest? But, but maybe it switches from that to, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. No matter what that means, no matter what that entails, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. That means every decision, every vision, every every choice gets filtered through you. And I'm going to commit my life to serving you, to being your hands and the feet in the world. So, so my prayer and my hope is that, that as we read through these letters, that, that they're used to help transform us in our faith. They're used to have us ask some difficult questions about how we follow Jesus, about our church and how our church follows Jesus. 
So I want to ask you a question. Does anybody remember like the last three years? I know some of you are like, I blocked it out of my memory. I have no idea what happened the last three years. Um, I, I want you to go back a little bit. Even to a couple years ago when that first announcement came out, right? When we heard about this virus that was across the world. And we heard like, you know, it's, it's okay, it's over across the world, it's probably not going to affect us. And, and then we heard it might start to affect us. And, and then it came down to, oh, it's here and it's affecting us. Oh, now we got to lock everything down for a, a couple weeks. How many people thought back then, oh yeah, in a month we'll be back to normal? I know some of you are like PTSD, like starting to get nervous, starting to hyperventilate, starting to remember back all those times. And our life has been massively interrupted the last two and a half, three years, right? I don't know one person that would go and say, I did not struggle at all the last two years. Life was awesome. I don't know anybody that would say that. But here's the question I want to ask. What happened to your faith? Over the last two to three years. And then if you don't want to like think of yourself. (laughs) Just think of the people you live around. Like what happened to the faith in my family? What happened to the faith in my friends? What happened to the faith in people that I know from church? Like what happened to your faith. Our faith. Over the last two to three years. Think about it. Did it grow? Did it get weaker? What types of struggles did you find in your faith, in your walk with Jesus? Maybe you really were impacted by the fact that we we didn't gather together for a church for a little while. Or maybe you're like, hey, that's just fine if we don't gather together at church. I don't really like them anyway. We love you. But like, what happened to your faith? Did, did it thrive? Or were there struggles? What happened when, when life started to get difficult? When, when school got taken away? When, when certain privileges that we have got taken away? When, when life got inconvenient? When life got a little bit scary? Some of us were on all sorts of journeys. Some of us were hardly affected health-wise for the last couple of years. Others of us had friends and family die. And my question is, what has happened to our faith? I think this is a profound question that we kind of just skim over. But I think the answer to this question is very revealing. And this will hopefully all make sense in a little bit. But did you struggle? Was your faith weakened? Where did your focus go? When life got hard, what did you escape to? Did your faith become attached to a political ideology? Was your faith dismantled? 
by the action or inaction of others? Ah, that's a good question to camp out on. And my follow-up question would be, why? Why, how did the inaction or action of others impact your faith, and what does that say about your faith? I think the overall arching, overarching question is, how, how does your faith respond when you suffer? Many of us would say our faith struggles when we are suffering. In any capacity, our faith struggles, and I think that is normal. I think that is fairly common for something to happen in our life which causes struggle, and it causes our faith to struggle. That's when you hear echoes of James in the book of James, first chapter. Hey, consider it pure joy when trials come your way, when suffering comes your way. Because through that suffering, through that trial, your faith is going to be made whole, more complete. You're going to develop perseverance. You're going to become mature in your faith through that. But many of us, no matter how many times we read those verses have a hard time seeing that, especially in the midst of struggle. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. The church that we are going to talk about today uh, in Revelation chapter 2, it's a second letter that was sent and these letters were sent to these churches, and these churches are all in, uh, we're, we're in Asia, which is now modern-day Turkey. And these churches were kind of grouped together, and, and they were right along a mail route, and they were all connected, and the, you had the church in Rome, and then you had these grouping of churches, which Paul planted, many of which Paul planted. There's group of churches that were some of the largest churches, most influential churches in uh, early Christianity. And today we're going to talk about the church in Smyrna. Say that with me. Smyrna. Uh, A couple facts about the church in Smyrna. Uh, It was named after the uh, myrrh. So biblically speaking, myrrh was used to preserve dead bodies. So this the city of Smyrna was, uh, that was the main industry in this city. It was a port city, uh, so it was uh, populated. Uh, people were coming and going. It was um, a Roman city, which meant that idol worship, pagan temples, and worship of the Roman Empire were everything in the city. So the Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, would walk around and say, I'm God, I'm Jesus, you need to worship me. Not I'm Jesus, I'm God. You need to worship me. That was one of the big battles of the day. Do we worship Jesus or do we worship this uh, Caesar that declares himself God? So needless to say, in this city, it was not friendly to people that were following the way or people that were following Jesus. The emperor of Rome was worship. That was allowed. All other religions were banned. Judaism seemed to be exempt from that. 
There was an active Jewish population who were hostile to the church. And in Smyrna, there was a largely Gentile church that was considered a threat to both the Jews and to the Roman Empire. And then this letter is is one of only two letters that Jesus wrote that there's no uh, rebuke or criticism. There's encouragement. Because the people needed it. Let's get into it. In the church. To the angel in the church of Smyrna writes, These are the words to him who was first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So in this letter, it's an encouragement. Be faithful. It's an acknowledgement. Hey, I know times are rough for you. I know life is difficult. There is poverty. You are far richer because of Jesus, because of what you have in the heavenly realms than you think you are. There is poverty and there is persecution. There are people in this city who despise you. And this isn't persecution like, oh, this person wrote a nasty comment to me on Facebook. Or, oh, I can't do this or that. This is persecution like people will drag you into the streets and arrest you and potentially kill you. That type of persecution, right? So he's saying, look, there is persecution. This is a reality for you, church. There is a whole Jewish congregation that hates you as the church. They are trying to make life impossible for you. You are up in this, in this city, which is all towards Rome, and they are threatening your life if you don't worship the ruler of Rome. So he's acknowledging there's this underground church that is meeting, that is connecting, that is praying together, that is eating meals together, that's worshiping together, that's reading scripture together, and it's all underground because they can't be seen. Like, they are living some of the the hardest life possible to live as Christians. There's real risk that their families will be broken apart. There is real risk that they will be arrested, thrown in jail with no uh, trial that's fair. There is real risk that they could actually be killed for what they believe and what they profess. And he's saying, look, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid of all these threats that are out there. Don't be afraid of these people who are trying to trap you and trying to imprison you. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil's going to put some of you in prison. Some of you are going to face some very, very, very hard things. Keep your hope in me. Notice how he begins the letter. I'm the first and the last who died and came to life. Your hope, your faith is in me, Jesus says. And then he says, I will give you a crown of life in the next life. So hold fast. Be faithful. Be true. Keep me front and center as Lord of your life. I've been thinking as I've read this letter and kind of learning the context of that church in that area. How would the American church respond to persecution? I know some of you, you did not come to church this morning to hear all this. (laughs) But here's a question for us. Like if this was our reality, if this was your reality as a Christ follower, like if we couldn't do this, if we, we couldn't broadcast, we couldn't meet as a whole large group because there were real risks that, that we would be arrested, that people would come in and break it up, that, that there could be more severe consequences that occur. If, if this was our reality, if this was us, how would your faith respond? Would you abandon it? Somebody's sending me a text. Would you abandon your faith? Would you hide your faith? My guess is our faith would struggle. And so, yes, this is not our reality. Like, we can't, I don't even know that we can have an idea of what this is like to live in a context like this. But I think it brings up and reveals some really good questions for us to ask ourselves. What if we lived in this context? What would happen to your faith? See, the New Testament is written in this context. So there's a couple responses that the New Testament writers write and show and live out that I want to highlight. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, 1 Peter, uh, Peter wrote this to the Asian churches. So the very churches that all these letters are written to, this is the context, the, the, who Peter was writing to when he wrote First and Second Peter. This was his audience. And so he was writing to an audience that were suffering persecution. Like the the emperor at the time, the Roman emperor, was literally hunting Christians down. This was not safe for Christians. This cost something to follow Jesus. And so he was writing this letter to these Christians. And there's a couple things that I want to highlight. First, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, but you are chosen people. He's reminding them your identity, who you are, 
You are not part of this culture. You are Jesus first. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him. You who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. So yes, you live in this city that is dominated by Rome, but you are not citizens of Rome. You are citizens of Jesus. First and foremost. So he's saying live like it. You are called out to be the light in the darkness. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people because of Jesus, of God. Once you had received no mercy, but now you have mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify Jesus. He's saying, here's your identity, here's who you are. You are aliens and strangers to this city that you currently live in because you are citizens of heaven first. And he's saying in this midst, in this, in this context of persecution, in this context of struggle, of suffering, live such good lives among the pagans. That even when they accuse you, they've got nothing to accuse you for. What are they going to accuse you? Of being too nice? Of being too loving? Of being too generous? So that then, even though they can't understand it, They glorify God. How many Christians do you know over the last two to three years had this as their heartbeat? I'm going to live such a good life in the midst of struggle, in the midst of pain, in the midst of inconvenience. I am going to live such good lives that when people see the way that I live... When people see what I post on social media, when people are around conversations uh, that I'm having with other people, regardless of who that is, they're going to look at me and go, man, who are you following? Because I want more of that. Like all these other people are critiquing, complaining, criticizing, like picking sides. Are you on my side? Are you on that side? All this stuff, all this stuff is going on. And and I want the Christian who's going to say, no, I'm going to live such a good life because of who I am in Jesus. That no matter who looks at me, they go, man, how are you doing this? How are you living like this? Because I want more of what you've got. And then he continues. He says, finally, in har- live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because this is what you were called to. You may inherit a blessing. He goes on to say more. Read the rest of the book of, of 1 Peter and you'll be blessed. 
But in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this persecution, there is a consistent challenge from the New Testament authors. Be faithful. Lean into Jesus. Remember your identity. Remember that Jesus suffered. Therefore, you are probably going to suffer. And remember how Jesus did it. Because you should do it the same way. Live such good lives that nobody can look at you and and accuse you of anything. But when they see your life, let it point them to Jesus. And then quickly, there's this story in Acts chapter 4. It's, it's one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. It's, it's Peter, uh, uh, Peter and John. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Peter and John were in the early church period, so uh, Jesus gives the command, go out in all the earth and make disciples and baptize them. And then the, uh, in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, empowers the, the Christians... And then there's that famous chapter, Acts 2.42, where Christians are creating this utopian society that that they're living together, they're eating meals together, they're praying together, uh, they're sharing life together. If anybody has a need, it's provided by the group, by the church. It's really quite beautiful. I, I pray that someday we can figure out how to get back closer to what that is. But you get an image, a picture of a church that's worshiping God. Like Jesus is everything to this church. Everything to this group of people. Thousands and thousands of people are being added. Well, one day Peter and John were out and they were preaching on the street telling people about Jesus. And some rulers came by and they said, hey, stop, you're not allowed to do that. And they said, well, um, that's too bad because we're still going to do it. And they get brought back into like the courthouse and they're about to be thrown in jail. And they're asking them, like, where do you get the, like, why do you keep doing this? Where does this power come from within you that, that you're preaching the gospel out here about this guy who died a little bit ago, but you're out here preaching to the streets and you don't really even care that we're threatening you? Why? Remember? <laughs> Live such good lives that when they accuse you, they really don't have much to accuse you by. And when they ask questions, they see Jesus. Remember that whole line? So in Acts 4, 13, when they asked, where do you get this power? They answered, and they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. These guys weren't eloquent. They weren't well-versed in probably what they were talking about. Like, I think it goes a long way to earn the title of being unschooled and ordinary, right? Like, it means you're not wowing anybody with anything that you're saying. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
And then is my favorite part. I got let go, right? Don't preach the gospel anymore. Okay, whatever. We won't. Wink, wink. They go back to their church, their people, their small group. And they go in this room and they're sitting there and they're going, we're terrified. Like we're threatened. This is serious. Like if we do this again, we could be thrown in jail or even worse. What did they do? Did their friends go, you know, you really shouldn't do that. There's other ways that you can preach the gospel. You really shouldn't go out and risk your own life for this. Or have you thought about this? Like, maybe you can do this another way. Maybe, like, this is really serious. Like, this could really happen to you. You could really be thrown in jail. Maybe, maybe you should shy away from this. Was that their response? No, I'm sure they were thinking it. Their first response was to pray. They went back to their people and reported to the chief priests. This is later in chapter 4. And reported what happened when they heard this. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit from the mouth of your servant. And a little later on. Say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice what they didn't pray. Make us safe. Make it so there will no longer be threats. Make it so there will no longer be suffering. We'd like to walk the streets and preach the name of Jesus without any threat whatsoever. Make it like that, Jesus. No, no. I said, hey, Jesus, we know the realities, but would you please fill your servants with boldness? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders that no one can deny who the name of Jesus is. And after they prayed, the place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So the challenging question is how would you respond to suffering? Real suffering. A window into that question is how did you respond to what I would probably call light suffering that we've endured the last three years? And I know there were all, there were levels of suffering that people endured the last three years. And some were very serious and very heartbreaking. But as a whole, a window into how we would respond to real suffering, real persecution is in how we responded to what we went through the last three years. And I want to encourage you, take some time and wrestle with that. Because I don't know that we would have the same response. Right? If real suffering occurred, 
I don't know that we have the same response of we're, we're going to retreat into our homes and our groups and get together and, and, and still make Jesus Lord of our life and, and we are going to uh, buckle down and instead of praying for relief or safety or anything like that, where our only prayer is going to be, Jesus, fill us with boldness so we can go out and still preach. I don't know what our response would be. Hey, remember your identity in Christ. That's first and foremost. Remember that he is the Lord of your life. And then live such good lives. How, how would you respond? There's an interesting podcast that I listen to that, that I want to encourage you all to listen to. It's called The Rebuilders Podcast. Uh, the, the title of it is Five Things the Western Church Can Learn from the Iranian Persecuted Church. I'll put that on Facebook or Instagram maybe today or tomorrow. Uh, But I want to encourage you, take a moment and listen to it. It's not incredibly long, maybe 30 minutes or so. But take a moment and listen to it. Because I think there are things that we can learn individually and as the church from what other brothers and sisters are going through in our world. And we can certainly learn it from what brothers and sisters went through in Scripture. We can also learn what brothers and sisters are going through throughout the world, and that will help shape our own faith journey and maybe put some things into perspective. Because I think we need it as a church. A couple of things that stood out to me. That even in this cultural context, where again, there is real persecution happening. If you became a Christian, you would be potentially arrested. Your family would disown you. There's risk of death in other parts of the world to becoming a Christian, to saying yes to the name of Jesus. A couple of things that stood out to me from this podcast. Uh, One of the things they talked about was the lordship of Christ over your entire life. So that Jesus is in charge and over everything in your life. It's not this like compartment. Jesus, you get Sunday and and I get the rest of the week. Work, you get 40 hours, 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, My hobbies get some, some time. Like my family gets a little bit of time. Like it's not all compartmentalized. Jesus is lord of everything in your life. And here's something that they said. Uh, When people are being thrown in a prison, when people are being killed because of their faith, you find out quickly what's actually the Lord of your life. You find out very quickly if Jesus is everything or if he's just an add-on. The other thing that they said, when people can't rely on bringing their friends to church, right? Because there is no like church meeting like this. 
Or, or when people can't rely on, like, I, I'm going to go bring you to my pastor. You're going to listen to my pastor speak because he'll explain everything to you. Guess what happens? They have an encounter with Jesus. They make Jesus Lord of their life. And then they go out and preach. They go out and talk to family, talk to friends, go on the streets and preach. They don't farm it out to a church or to a pastor because they can't. And there's a real price to pay. So this is real serious when they say yes to Jesus. This isn't a moment in a worship song when they feel a little emotional and they're like, oh yes, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. No, no, they have to count the cost before they go, I am going to follow Jesus. And it's literally going to change my entire life. I know you all didn't come to church this morning to hear all this. But I think this is where the text leads us, right? We read about a church in which Jesus encourages them and says, your life is insanely difficult. Keep going, be faithful. And we see a church in which their faith is growing in the midst of of suffering and persecution. And I think as Christians, we have to ask questions. Would we respond the same way? Is Jesus Lord of our life? When life gets complicated and difficult, how do we respond? See, I think for most of us, being a Christian is comfortable. It's easy. Like, you got all the devotions you could access for your whole entire life. You got all the Bibles you could read. And if your Bible gets a little bent or something, you just Amazon, deliver it. Like, deciding to follow Jesus, there's no, like, practical cost to it. Right? Anybody can go, I'm following Jesus. And depending on your crowd, they may look at you sideways a little bit, but everybody will be like, okay, you, you do you. Go ahead. There's no threat of being thrown in prison or anything like that. And sometimes I wonder if being comfortable, if, if being easy is actually a hindrance to what it means to follow Jesus in our lives. I wonder how much comfort, our comforts, our freedoms, our rights, actually hinder our ability to truly have Jesus be Lord of our lives and hinders our ability to actually live out the gospel in our community. So, I leave all that with you. And the question that I would ask is just real simple. Where is your faith weak and where is your faith strong?
Maybe you hear a sermon like this and you look at that church and, and you look at how the New Testament writers responded and, and you're thankful that you don't live in that context. I'm thankful we don't live in that context, but I think we take advantage of it. And so hopefully this, like the Holy Spirit will start to work in the little areas of our minds and in our hearts to start to stir some things up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Jesus, I pray that you continue to speak. As we walk out these doors, you continue to speak to us. And Jesus, I couldn't be more thankful for where, have you, where you've placed us. But Jesus, I pray that you not let us just be comfortable. That you stir some things up in our hearts. That our, that our brothers and sisters in Iran are sharing Jesus with everybody and Christians are coming to know you by the thousands. Jesus, how much more should we be filled with that boldness to live such good lives? In your name we pray.